They're big, they're ugly, and they're coming to get us. It's the invasion of the Monster King Crab. Reports are coming in from fishermen all along the coast. What are these things? Some unknown species of crabs. I've never seen a six-foot-tall crab. We need to call... Secret Society of Fly Tires. And tell them what? That we're being attacked by man-eating crabs? We have to stop it. Fly patterns are now supercharged. What can stop something so jacked up? Another perfectly evolved fly to help you catch fish in the salt water, you fool. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Secret Society of Fly Tires. You know, you'd be surprised how tough it is to come up with content for four episodes of a fly tying podcast. I'm still figuring out where to take this whole idea, and it will evolve, I'm sure. But trying to think of fly-tying content that people besides yourself might enjoy can be a real brain melter. Especially when you're just slightly above beginner level yourself, and have a hard time thinking about anything except tying winter steelhead flies no matter what time of year it is. It's a little weird, I guess, since I grew up near the beach and love warm weather, swimming, barbecuing, and everything else that goes along with the summer in California. But steelhead sickness is real on the other side i've had many conversations with my buddy kyle about how if we had to choose we'd both pick fishing the salt water on a regular basis over our home water being the river if we had to fish one more than the other don't get me wrong it's hard to think of places more magical than foggy coastal rainforests in the pacific northwest i'd be thigh deep in almost any river that holds a steelhead right now if i could teleport to one without my family noticing like some sort of hybrid alien steelhead abduction missing time scenario. And um, ended up in a uh, missing time that was over four and a half hours. I was brought back and there was a manhunt that ensued and a lot of people in the area saw these things. I really don't even fish the saltwater very often as I'm based in Sacramento, but the ocean calls. I love it more every time I go. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the many types of crab patterns used while surf fishing. And Wes McNew from Onion Creek Fly Company was chosen as our expert for this episode. I'll share the conversation we had after I ramble for a little bit. Thinking about it more, my friend Kyle might be basing his decision between fishing the ocean and the river more on the fact that I took him steelhead fishing not long after I met him and almost killed him. And you almost killed me! Of course I'm mad at you! To make a long story short, we were at a fairly popular spot on the Lower American River in the wintertime about 10 years ago. I was pretty new to waiting and felt invincible since I hadn't experienced any close calls yet, and this was Kyle's first time. We strapped him into some old boot-bottom rubber waders and got to the river before sunup. Once we made it down to our spot, we spied an island with a channel on the far side that looked fishy. The grass is always greener, so I asked Kyle if he wanted to cross over with me, and he agreed. He was in front and started the slow crossover through what looked like waist-deep water that was moving pretty quick. I realized I left my backpack on the shore and told him I was turning around to get it. As soon as I turned, his legs got swept out from under him and he was getting taken downriver. He was sinking fast and soon all I could see was my buddy's face sticking out of the water as he was trying his best to stay calm as he bobbed down the river. The cold river was now too deep for him to touch bottom. He dropped the rod and reel I let him borrow, and his knife, trying to get out of his waders, and was at the mercy of the current. I ran to shore, looking for rope, 
or a tree limb or anything to toss out to him, but there wasn't anything around, and he was basically out of reach now. Luckily, there were two other anglers downstream who saw what was happening and knew the river better than we did. They hollered for him to try and swim towards an area that shallowed up where he could climb out. Thankfully, he floated in that direction and his filled up rubber waders and they helped him out safely from a really scary situation. I breathed a big sigh of relief and made the trek to my car to go pick him up downriver. When I found him, we both had a pretty good laugh about it all and obviously learned from it. He was looking like some kind of horrible version of a soaked male stripper wearing only his waders as everything else he had on was cold and wet. And you know, honestly, I don't think Kyle has agreed to fish the river with me since. He will go to the ocean with me though. If he had gotten swept away by a rogue wave instead, at least we could say he died doing what he loved, taken by the unmatchable power of Poseidon, like a true sailor, no grave but the sea. I'm sorry I almost killed you, Kyle. I'm sorry! I'm sorry! It was reported on nothingbutthefacts.com that Striper eat 10 million sand crabs every day. Yeah, right, dude. That source hasn't been vetted yet, but the URL checks out. That number doesn't really matter anyway. Crab patterns work, and there are tons of different types for different species, locations, and scenarios. They work because fish all worship and fear the Greek crab hero, Carcanus, who came to the aid of Hydra in its battle with Hercules at Lerna. What? No, they don't. They work because fish love to eat crabs, and people like Wes McNew have figured out ways to tie them that fool even the pickiest permit on the flat. They can be a little intimidating to tie after watching someone on YouTube break out their markers, shave down all kinds of foams, and use different ways and materials to craft pinchers, or put multiple sets of dumbbell eyes on them in spots you might not typically tie them in. But like any other pattern, they're only as complicated as you make them. Sand crab patterns can basically be tied like large nymphs and will work just fine in the surf for a number of species. I'm not sure when the first crab pattern was tied or by who, but it was most likely in the late 1920s when fly anglers first started to target bonefish. If you know who might have done it, let me know by emailing me a scathing rant about my lack of knowledge or a mean comment about me being a lazy conspiracy theorist. Or just be nice. Doing my best, alright? I didn't even try to make an STD joke and this whole episode's about crabs. Statistics show that somebody in here had or has something. Y'all are liars, man. Be real out here, man. So you want to catch your first bonefish? Permit? Redfish? Striper? Surf perch? Get yourself the right materials, find your way to the salt water, and learn a crab pattern or two. Climb out of your comfort zone and try something new. If I had one more line, I'd be rapping to you. Or hit up Wes at Onion Creek Flies for some of their many different crab choices, including the tarantula crab, camel crab, flexo crab, or Casablanca. Wes sharpened his dexterity all over the open road as a guitar tech for touring bands before starting up Onion Creek Fly Company, and I'm eager to learn more about him. I hope you enjoy the chat we had about fly tying, crabs, and more. Wes, um, thank you for hey, being man, here today. And, um, you know, I have some questions that I'm going to get to about about crabs, uh, crab patterns. I, I've seen a lot of your of your patterns on on your website, Onion Creek Flies. You know, I want to get to that. I had some kind of just general initial questions I wanted to get to first. I've done a little homework um, after seeing your flies online. I see you spent time on the road as, uh, as a guitar tech, right? I was on the road for probably 15, 20 years, somewhere in there. Yeah. Right, right on. And, and you're a production manager now? 
I am. Right on. And you say you're, you're in San Antonio. Uh, what venue are you working at there? I work at Floors Country Store. It's actually in Holotus, which is a little kind of rural suburb, uh, northwest San Antonio area. Been there for 80 or 85 years. Historical marker status. Like Willie Nelson used to play there every Saturday sort of deal back in the day. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what groups you, you toured with when you were on the road. Uh, when I was touring, man, I did, uh, uh, I, I'll probably kind of the later in my career, like the last tour I did in 2017, I was with Lyle Lovett and his large band Sweet. I for a while. Um, before that I was with a band called need to breathe, um, for four or five years. They were Charleston based. I think they're in Nashville now. Nice. Yeah. I thought I saw one time online. I thought on, on your Instagram, I thought maybe you, I could be remembering this wrong, but I thought you were like tying flies side stage uh, and Charlie Crockett was maybe yeah. sa- sound checking or something yeah, like that. that. Was That's rad. So, man. Yeah. 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 I take all my stuff with me when I go um, just because, you know, it's as production manager, if, if everybody is there is doing their job, there's not much for me to do. So, um, and we try to keep people around that know how to do their job. Right on. Um, so, so how did you start, uh, the onion Creek fly company? Man, I, uh, like I said, I toured for years. Um, I fished conventional growing up as, as a kid, I grew up West of Waco on a, on a dairy farm. And, uh, I found out real fast that what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, so I, uh, I, I moved to Colorado for a little bit, um, when I was like 18 and 19, uh, I was in Colorado, Wyoming for a little bit. And when I was doing that, I, uh, I picked up fly fishing from, uh, I was working at some adventure camps. So from some of the other guides there, um, I picked up, picked up one of their fly rods and they kind of taught me how to cast. And I started just kind of going off and, and fishing. Um, and then I moved back, back home, moved to Austin. I think probably when I was around 21, 22 and, uh, I didn't really, really wasn't doing much outdoors then. I was kind of focused on trying to figure out what I was going to do for work and all that yeah, stuff. And that, that kind of led me, led me to the music business and attend a bar for a while and that kind of deal. And uh, then fast forward, you know, being on the road for several years, um, my wife and I uh, got pregnant and we lost our, I lost our son full term, full term pregnancy. Um, just stillborn was kind of the only answer we got um, for that. And just kind of as I was figuring out how to grieve that and deal with that, I, I kind of was drawn back outside um, and just was making that connection that way. Um, and I, I got, got a fly rod again and just started kind of taking myself out to some places that were, you know, pretty easy to access and um, kind of relearning that. And I wasn't really getting the results that I wanted from that. And it ended up just frustrating me even more <laughs> at times. And so I actually called uh, um, All Water Guides. It's based in Austin. And that's Alvin Dado and what Alvin yeah. and Dado's uh, sure. outfit. And uh went fishing with a cat named Winston who was guiding for them at the time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of started, started clicking there and, um, did that. And I was still on the road at the time. So I go back out on tour. I come back. Um, my wife and I, you know, end up pregnant again and we have a little girl. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and 
So I kind of came off the road when she was born and I was kind of the primary caretaker because my wife's job is way more lucrative than my touring was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not that it's a bad gig at all, but, you know, if one of us had to do it, it was definitely, you know, made more sense for me to stay home and get to be with the family and Mm -hmm. not have to be traveling so long. And um, so, I mean... Lorraine or my daughter, she, you know, she would sleep sometimes five hours a day with naps and stuff. And I just needed something to do. So I, I went on my first saltwater trip and I saw just re- going chasing redfish on the coast. And I just kind of saw what, you know, the guide gave me, you know, his the flies that I was using. I was like, man, this looks like something that I could probably figure out how to do. So I, when I got home from that, I went just to Gabela's and bought, you know, the whatever cheapest vice I could find sure. and mm-hmm. immediately took that home. I immediately took that back because it wasn't do well, I couldn't even get it to hold a hook or anything. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then from there, I just basically kind of taught my taught myself via YouTube and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody, there's so much great information that, you know, designers and tires that have been doing it for so, so much longer that have been gracious enough to share. Um, that's just kind of how I taught myself how to do it. Um, and just after the repetitiveness of it and getting it down, like I struggled really bad with like figuring out proportions mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I finally just figured out like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to look at his vice and see where the tail hits on his vice. And I just kind of start figuring it out that way. And yeah, all those little details that you kind of brush up, brush off at first time. Huh? Yeah. And, and that was the thing. Like I, I jumped in so quick to it that, like I didn't, I didn't take the time to learn thread control or any of these things that I'm just like, oh, that's silly. It's all going to be covered up anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, it sounds things. like, it sounds like how I learned too. I mean, basically just like um, being curious enough to finally go get some stuff and then just, oh, we're lucky to have YouTube. You know, I've talked to plenty of people that obviously learned before that and it, you know, yeah, we have, we have a big advantage there. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, those guys, um, God bless them that kind of pays that way. And, right. um, you know, now that there's, you know, guys like me that are, you know, knocking their patterns off and <laughs> that sort of deal. Cause by no means am I any kind of a designer. I, I, I believe design is kind of ultimately should be to, should be to solve a problem, you know, that, sure, yeah. um, and I, I haven't found anything that hasn't, that somebody hasn't covered. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, speaking of that, like, I really like your coyote, clousers you know which obviously yeah. you didn't make a, you didn't create the clouser but the, oh, little no. var- the little variation on that is super cool and i i dig i dig them a lot yeah man um, it uh i like i like to use coyote a lot it's cool so i mean how long were you tying then before you actually just decided i'm gonna start i'm gonna open up shop and start selling my stuff i tied for like probably uh i don't know it, it, i mean three or four months and already like you know the, the winston who i'd mentioned that was guiding for uh alvin was just like hey those look great tie me some Oh yeah. So it kind of started with just, you know, folks would, you know, yeah, see them on Instagram and there's some confidence building right there too. As soon as somebody wants some. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But it also like made me realize that, okay, if I'm going to put this out there and sell it, then I need to put some more time in and figure out how to make this durable, make sure that it's going to swim. Right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we watching it on YouTube, sometimes you're not going to get the small nuances that make it do what it's supposed to. 
Yeah. And if you could fish them yourself a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I live right out. on onion Creek is actually in my backyard. Yeah. Cool. So I just take them out there and I've got a, there's a dam right in my backyard. So I got a pretty deep pool mm -hmm. where That's I could cool. actually swim flies in and, you know, see how they sunk and do all that kind of stuff. So way cool, man. Yeah. I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I read online that you specialize in flies for the Yucatan area, right? Man, that's kind of what it's turned out to be. Like I, uh, I've I've fished in Mexico uh, probably four or five times now, and um, maybe three. I it's hard to keep track. Um, but man, it's it's you know so accessible and easy to get there that it just you know for me going if I want to chase permit or you know smaller tarpon or bonefish, it just makes the most sense. Um, and unfortunately, it's Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's cheaper, you know, to go spend a week in Mexico um, to go permit fishing than it would be, say, Florida. For sure. Right. I got to uh, I got I to do it. I haven't, I haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, I, I just uh, actually tied some stuff for some folks from can't remember where they're at. I think they're in more Bay Area um, okay. that, that just went and uh, yeah, they were they had a great time. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, your, your catalog's full of great stuff on, on your website. Um, what would you say your hottest selling pattern is like, what do you, what do you sell the most of? Man, I sell tons of, uh, of that little raghead crab, Yeah, um, which is, you know, that, that it's a, it's a mass produced crab, but they, nobody produces it, um, heavy enough or with the, uh, yellow eyes. And for some reason, um, the guides and down in Mexico, um, that's like, oh, it's gotta have yellow eyes. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And yeah. whether, you know, whether that's, that makes a difference to a permit or not, or if it just gives that guide that confidence that that's what it is, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I actually sell those to two shops too. So tailwaters in Dallas, cause they also have a travel company and run a lot of trips down, mm -hmm. down there. So they, I keep all of their clients, stocked in those and then there's another uh shop up in washington um oh man i'm drawing a blank on the name of it but um yeah i i send i'm as fast as i can as many of i i mean i send them like probably each 10 dozen every other month or oh, something right now that's cool yeah you know i speaking of yeah i i read an interview with you where you said you somebody asked you what your favorite fly was and your answer was whatever's tied on yeah. And, um, as you know, as a, as a passionate steelheader, I, I love that answer. You know, a lot of the time that's all it really comes into play. And, um, wh what do you think, why do you think positive intention and confidence like that is so, is so important? Man, I think that, you know, a fish like, like steel, I have never fished for steelhead, so it's still a myth to me, but a uh, fish like steelhead and permit, like you got to find something. And <laughs> And hold on to that otherwise you'll drive yourself mad that's a good way to put it yeah um so if it's if it's yellow eyes or if it's you know pink or if it's just you know the fact that okay i this whatever is in my i'll tie it on to the end of my i i know this should catch a fish mm -hmm. um it, it does it looks the way it should you know um but i just think you know there's in the back of your head you got to hold on to okay this is gonna happen yeah. I, I try to approach the water. I try to approach the water with that, you know, before I, before I'm even fishing. Um, yeah. Usually uh, I, it's hard. It's something that's kind of, you have to be, uh, you have to think about doing that. 
you know, at least I do. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think to put some of that mindset too, like, I feel like, you know, redfish at, 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 I'm not going to say that they're always easy to catch and that they'll always eat anything, but mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've found that, you know, I could keep a clouser tied onto a rod for as long as it'll stay there and it'll get eat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you, so you, you said you sell a lot of those, uh, what was the raghead crap? Yeah, that um, and spawning shrimp, coyote shrimp. Uh, so some stuff is, I'm sure, is like kind of a chore. You know, you get a big order of X, you know, or whatever. Like, what do you like tying? Like, what when you get a big order of something, you're like, are you, what are you pumped about? Man, I uh, I I like different stuff. Like a, a couple of years ago, Alvin um, and JT were going on a JT Van Zant, who guides down the Texas coast, were uh, going to the Seychelles um on it with yeti they were taking taking a big trip and uh so they both hit me up to tie on some flies for the seychelles well i've never been to the seychelles i, I, I may never because that's <laughs> I, I don't i don't even know if i could handle that travel <laughs> right, yeah. honestly yeah. um but i you know a, a different kind of challenge and just having to go do the research and ask people and i, I you know i'm lucky that I've, I've gotten to make good friends with some of these folks like, um, Jocko and, uh, who guided in the Seychelles is now down on the Texas coast guiding. So that was a great resource for me to kind of pick his brain. And, um, I mean, I've, I, I try not to, uh, to bug a lot of these people that, uh, or feel like I bug them who've created some of these patterns, but every once in a while I'll, I'll reach out just cause, I feel like they've already given given so much by putting stuff out there on the internet. Anyway, it's like, mm-hmm. w- what else can I expect from them? You know, like yeah. I don't want to. So I try to always do my best to research it, and then if I still have something that I'm not finding or grasping, I'll do my best to graciously reach out to to figure out the answers that I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, so so tying tying for a living, you know, tying as your uh, commercially. Um, how, yeah. do you, how do you keep from getting burnt out? on you know on tying like I don't, i'm not sure how much you put in daily weekly but like i always hear that it, it has the danger of that you know yeah i mean I, I you know i fishing helps keep me inspired um good feedback from clients helps keeps me keeps me inspired um i things that i can production tie um which you know would mean like like for instance like when i tie those crabs like i'll 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 just dress my hooks yeah. and, put my, and put my lead eyes on kind of stage them out like that. Yep. Yeah. And then I'll, you know, take, take this and I'll, mm. I'll, uh, you know, divvy all my hackle out mm. on it. And so I do stuff in such, you know, in that process to where I'm not just sitting there yeah, doing one at a time and making myself want to beat my head against yeah, right, totally. Like, so uh, you're on the pro team for Norvice, right? I am. Yeah. How, how did that relationship start? Man, uh, the the, uh, the first shop that I started tying um, tying for when I first started, I, I started tying for like um, I tied for a lot of shops quickly because um, I was tying. Uh, I tie a lot of game changers, too, and was tying a lot of them at that time. And it was before the Flyman had come out with Blaine's signature series. Um, so you, the only game changer you could buy, you know, over over the counter um was this thing that uncle put out and it was like i mean you got it wet and it was like casting a sock yeah just sogged up sogged up yeah uh, i mean and 
you know, I don't even think Blaine liked it, like, and even wanted to have his name on it. (laughs) But um, I think as that, you know, kind of developed and so I was, I was cranking out a bunch of those for shops in Texas and I, like, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up, but the Norvice relationship came from sportsman's finest. Um, The manager at the time's name is Greg Wielander. And he had me uh, start tying these little, basically a little mini clousers um, for white bass. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like their staple white bass fly. So I did all, all those for him. And then he also bought game changers from me and that kind of started. And then, then it was like, Oh, the, the Orvis store in Austin, Orvis store in San Antonio. So that kind of came on. Well, fast forward, Greg ends up leaving Sportsman's. I think they it sold a new ownership and he was ready to do something else. And so he started uh, being the rep for, I think he's got like Thomas and Thomas, Siegler Reels. Uh, Norvice is one of his clients that he rep. I saw that and I was just, I was always kind of intrigued by by the Norvice just for production reasons, mainly because like the bearings in this thing are crazy. So like <laughs> even, even just putting my lashing my eyes on and putting a thread base, thread base on my hook was super yeah. quick. Wow. Yeah. Um, because they have their own bobbin too, which is an automatic bobbin mm-hmm. and it retracts. So like, wow. Okay. That's you don't have cool. to, uh, like it's literally, you know, you put it yeah. on a hook, spin, and people people can't see this because I'm just posting audio. But this yeah. is you're giving a demonstration of of this of the Norvice system yeah. here. That is, I I haven't seen somebody uh, you know face to face showing me these things. I've just kind of seen some stuff online, you know. Yeah, and Which, I I didn't know much about them, um, but I was always intrigued by it. And it, it you know, if I'm being honest, I was like, man, is is it kind of gimmicky? Is it not gimmicky? Is it good? Yeah. My, my feeling was like, I'm kind of just past the beginner beginner's phase, you know, and, and starting co- to connect a lot of dots and, and learning, learning stuff every day. Right. And the yeah. Nor the Norvice system looks different enough to be a little bit intimidating. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. What do you, what, what do you say is the biggest advantage? Um, and I, I would say, honestly, the fact that I, uh, for production tying, like just how fast I can, I can get a thread base on a hook and stuff lashed down. Mm-hmm. There's just some other really cool stuff too. The way it's set up, like it has a, to the, on it, it, you have to mount it to a base mm-hmm. and there's a device on, on your left side. And then it has a post that would be on your right side. Well, that post, you can also like hang your bobbin on. So, so let's say I'm, I've got a hook in here and I want to do, Oh, I don't know. Let's say I want to make a dubbing loop. So I'd make that dubbing loop and then I would pull this over and hang that there. And then I can just literally just spin it on. Yeah. Wow. Um, so do you, so is it a total change in platform? Like, do you, do you need new thread spools and stuff like that? That's the auto bobbin, right? Yeah. So basically you, uh, you spool these with normal thread. Uh-huh. It, it comes with like a little chuck that you'd put on a drill Okay. and you can slide the, slide the little spool on. Okay. And then I would, I'll put the, uh, the normal spool in a regular bobbin and I'll just, just thread it on there. Cool. And it, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time, but it's not, uh, to me, it's worth it. Um, it, yeah. it all makes up for it in the, it's, uh, already, um stoking my interest even more than it ever has so yeah and two um i would say that this the norvice uh has probably 
let's see, one, two, it has four different jaw configurations. Okay, you're right. Shanks like and yeah. Yep, it's got a shank jaw that I can tie my game changers on. Cool. This would be the standard jaw, and this is you know I can put uh I don't know probably up to a two odd in it maybe maybe cool. and then they've got a a big game jaw that I could put up to you know six odd in. Yeah, are all the jaws like straight straight like that on the end? No, they've got they've got one that's kind of like a more curved like normal. It's called the fine point jaw. So, you know, it, it gives you more access to, you know, the, the bend of the hook and sure. stuff like that. But that fine point jaw, don't let it fool you. You can, you can get it to hold like a six odd. Yeah. That's super cool. They, they, uh, they don't, I don't think Norvice likes folks saying that, but <laughs> if you do it right, it, uh, it works just fine. Right on. Those are cool. Um, let's, let's talk about crabs. Um, yeah. So can you run through your crab patterns? And there was quite a few that you have and, and what their like intended uses are. Yeah, um, man, fishing crabs can sometimes be weird. Um, I uh, I still sometimes have a hard time, like, hard time grasping it. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit easier for redfish when you're fishing super shallow and okay. you can see, see everything that's happening. But a lot of times when you're fishing permit, you're fishing sometimes, you know, three or four foot of water. So just really, you know, knowing that, okay, it's a crab. I'm, I'm going to need to take this instead of like if I was fishing a shrimp where I'd be short strip mm -hmm. bumping it with a crab. I'm, I'm fishing long and slow. More methodical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. just, you know, kind of, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I, I know how a crab acts when it's, <laughs> sure. you know, swimming, but that seems to be what, what the ticket is on them. I would say that a lot of times that, uh, that fishing crabs you want to fish them closer to the bottom um that's where i, I typically have seen them mm -hmm. um so get making sure that they get down crabs are normally pretty heavy um so they're not always as fun to try to huck but yeah. they so got their time in place so you have the so you have the raghead crab um got, can you name a couple of the other ones that you that you have on the, your catalog uh, probably have like a turnip crab and then which is kind of a a belize pattern it's really small typically meant to fish shallow water and then what else do i have on there i feel like it's another like a bigger version of that that turnip crab i'm gonna have to go to my own website here let's see I tie a lot of flexos too, which is kind of basically, you know, a derivative of the Alflexo that, um, Alflexo that was kind of developed for, um, for the Seychelles. And so I do a lot of those the pictures on here are so bad and outdated. <laughs> <laughs> I hate looking at my website sometimes, but that's just the way it goes. I don't have time to do that as well. The camo crab is another Belize pattern. Um, that's, I think that's CC that does it but it's a another just the uh it kind of looks like a molted like a crab that's molting that does well for uh permit and bonefish in belize and then there's a tarantula crab which is an ep pattern that man i've done every fished everything from permit to redfish i've even thrown it in fresh water and have caught caught bass and um yeah that one looks on. that one looks like a yeti crab almost yeah, yeah yeah it uh you know you mentioned you mentioned the weight you know um mm -hmm. what do you what do you think uh what do you think is most important with a crab fly is it is it 
weight profiles, color, size, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the weight has, you know, making sure it keels right. So making sure that it turns over and rides how you want it. I, I want most of mine to ride hooked up, up you know, hook point up. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like putting weed guards on flies. Um, I will, but I don't know. Something, yeah. just something in my head doesn't compute with, oh yeah, let's block the point of the hook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's tougher? Do you think it's tougher to kind of match, like match the hatch or whatever you'd say for, uh, for a saltwater fly, like, like, like a crab? Like, or, I mean, I see, you know, people go to great lengths. Yeah, for, they do. You know, yeah. and, then, and then there's, you know, there's realistic and then there's subject suggestive. Mm -hmm. I would say that I, I try to lean more to the suggestive um trying to trying to knock out some of these realistic ones like uh there's a guy i'm not sure where he's at but uh his handle on instagram is like streamer art designs and he does all of these uh 3d printed mm. um crab bodies and legs and like super realistic stuff yeah. um it's super cool but for me who's trying to produce you know hundreds of them it's not it's not super uh, conducive to getting those out in a timely manner. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, mentioning that you, you sell a lot of the raghead crab, is that what you fish the most yourself out of those two? Uh, it just depends if uh, in, in Mexico for permit or even Belize for permit. Yes. Um, I, I, I throw those a lot. Um, I would say that in, in Mexico, your guides are going to look for three, three patterns and it's going to be an EP spawning shrimp and wider tan with yellow eyes, a squint, yellow eyes, mm -hmm. and then that raghead and tan or white with yellow eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've got those in there and they're, you know, plenty of those, they, they should be, for the most part, pretty happy. So what, what do you think is a good pattern, like a good crab for new tires to try? They're, they're you know, they're kind of a, an intimidating pattern to start. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, uh, you know, I went, when I was starting, I, I, I spent a lot of time with that raghead trying to not do it the way that it should be done because I was just ending up sticking my fingers with glue everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and then I finally, after, you know, going down these, like I would cut these little, uh, that sticky back felt out, and I try to get the body right. And I, I'd use those and I just never was happy with it. So I, I, you know, I went back and, and look, look through the, the way that it's, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be tied again, which was using McFly foam. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you ever messed with McFly foam. I haven't now, but it's, it's basically just, you know, this like synthetic stretchy foamy stuff. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what that stuff would be like when you get it with a, you know, a strong volatile adhesive. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. Just sticks to everything. <laughs> so the original call for using zap, uh, zap goo, which is like the thickest, the thicker stuff of the zap gels and all that stuff. And then I went and I, I tried starting start uh, using uh, E6000, which is a, uh, a waterproof industrial strength adhesive, but it's a little bit, the consistency is a little thicker and it, it, uh, I feel like when it dries just a little bit, it's just more pliable instead of sticky. Mm -hmm. 
but it has enough stick to it to where that mint fly thumb will get on it and and it's flexible which is another thing that's super important um if you use something like epoxy or something that gets hard it'll it can get in the crunchers of a permit's mouth and break it and twist it and if that body twists and fouls up that hook point no fish it's gonna split it so using something that's flexible and that's malleable and like you know if it gets in its mouth and crunches on it it's not you know it's gonna it's gonna give and not just break so figuring all those things out and that was another problem with the the uh, um over-the-counter um raghead was Mm -hmm. they used epoxy and they break and, you know, people would miss fish of a lifetime on it. You're, you're talking about using all these films. What's the most like off the wall material you've seen used to tie crabs? It seems like you see all kinds of, there's so many variations. Yeah. And I'll say that, uh, um, Alec Gerbic, whenever he did, uh, whenever he came up, developed that out flex. So using that flex tube was pretty ingenious. I mean, I worked in the music business for years that, that, that flex tubing is, literally just stuff you would buy to make snakes with like to coat yeah uh, coating cables yeah, yeah like for sure it is a, a you know cable thing because it mm-hmm. so i was just like whoa um i knew you know exactly what it was and i also knew that where i could buy it yeah <laughs> and in lots of different colors that i i wouldn't necessarily see you know at a fly shop or you know people that were specifically making it for or, or repackaging it for fly tying. So what do you, what do you think is the most important part of tying a crab to ensure that it, you know, we talked about how it orients in the water. What do you think is the most important part to make sure that it, it rides the right way? You know, if you're doing a hookup, whatever you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, a lot of that. I, I, I'm not smart enough to know if there's some sort of formula for, um, for how much weight you yeah. need certain hook or anything like that sure so i tend to always lean on the heavy side to where i know that it's going to do it but you know try just trial and error too um i see that you know some folks at times will make things too light and i'm just like "Eh." (laughs) i I tend to lean in the side that there's not really a wrong way to do it but sometimes there's a, a better way or a more productive way yeah, is it is there is there a way of like a distributing weight, you know, in that in the in the bottom of that fly that you found that um like I'm trying to I'm only thing I can really relate it to is throwing crab traps, you know, where you're throwing snares off of yeah. deer or something, and you're and you're those are a lot of the time just the whole bottom of them is is a stack of lead, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's uh you know I uh, there's different things, but I tend to uh you know if I'm if I'm questioning whether or not it's going to be heavy enough um and i have to tie it on you know right up to the eye of the hook um i tend to do a really big uh, thread bump there Mm. to get it raised up off that that hook okay even further um to give it more uh more weight distributed to to the top to where it'll turn cool if i'm doing something like a you know a, a shrimp or a squimp i can move that eye back further to the bend of the hook at times, um, with, uh, with flexos, you can move that, move that eye back to the center of the hook shank. Yeah. That's, that's something that tripped me out. Um, you know, for someone who ties like a lot of steelhead flies and stuff like that, and I don't fish a lot of salt water yet. Um, mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm just 
just because of where I live in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, uh, that seeing somebody tying crabs and throwing multiple sets of dumbbell eyes on them in different spots. And so like that was just like, oh man, it's super interesting. Just a little unconventional, a little out, out of the general yeah. wheelhouse for me, you know? Like on those uh, camo crabs and there's a few others that I do that I have, uh, I take a tungsten putty, mm-hmm. like what you'd use in a pine box derby. Okay. Cars yeah. Back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. Or maybe still now that kids are kids, kids maybe to make them. Uh, yeah. But I'll, I'll use that and uh, weigh it on a little scale. Um, and then just kind of, you know, mold it to make it the bottom of the crab. Okay. And then I'll use, uh, you know, uh, either some like t-shirt paint to make, make the bottom white or uh, some sort of resin to make that belly white. And then I can, you know, mark it up or do whatever but cool i think most things in in nature that i've seen usually have a white belly right on yep already passing on a lot of cool tips here and i'm gonna um i'm gonna include a list of um you know tying videos that i found online of crabs um yeah yeah, and kind of include them on on the show notes if uh, anybody wants to check those out yeah um and yeah i hope to i hope to fish more crabs and and come out to uh you know you're you're part of the country and, yeah um, and check it out on the, on, on the bow of my boat anytime man sweet um so you know before i interview a guest um i try to do some reading on them and where they're from and stuff and mm-hmm. i always try i always try to look up some kind of like unrelated weird stuff to get my brain yeah, yeah. my brain going and so the, the state of texas has its share of um weird oh. stories like Mar- the marfa lights um, yeah um got a lot of places that people say are haunted the alamo hotel galvez um, mm-hmm. the uss lexington um, and I know it's got nothing to do with flight time, but I love asking my guests if they have any like paranormal or weird experiences or stories. Um, you know, you've man, tra- I, traveled I, a lot too on the road, you know, I'm interested. Yeah, I, man, I've been into some places that I've felt really weird. Like there's a, I'm trying to think of the name of it now, but I think it's in somewhere in Kentucky. Hmm. Um, what the heck was the name of that place? Is a hotel or something? No, it's a venue. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I want to, man, I can't remember. Uh, South uh, Southgate House, maybe. Yeah, I think it's like Southgate House, but this mm-hmm. place is like super, super old, you know. Mm-hmm. Lots of old Civil War stories and stuff like that. But like it was, we stayed late late in the night and kind of went poking around in it. And Yeah, it felt it weird. Was, I didn't see anything, but like I had, you know, just that weird, uneasy. Yeah. Like, man, something doesn't feel right around here. Uh, freaked me out enough but yeah i haven't really experienced a whole lot of that i'm aware of anyway um paranormal activity no no yeah um i love asking people you you guys uh you know fishing guides um tend to do a lot of traveling spend a lot of time out in kind of remote spots yeah and and, um and it's been in uh people in the music industry too you're traveling everywhere so especially yeah. i like i like i like asking that stuff and uh, yeah no that's 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 a great question man i think that i i i'm not necessarily a a doubter of uh paranormal activity mm-hmm. um but i just haven't really experienced um experienced it uh you know so following on uh on instagram i've seen you be vocal uh about some clean water causes and mm-hmm. other topics. Um, is there any important info that you want to pass on to anybody who's listening today? Anything, Man, current, I, anything I, current, you know, I have right now we're kind of in the, 
I've been to, I guess two weeks ago, I was in Rockport for uh, a meeting. We're kind of dealing with an over harvest of oysters right now. Okay. And uh, it's just, just trying to let people know that, gosh, their oysters are so important. So you're saying an over harvest of, of oysters that like the bag limits are, are too big or um, like what, what's being, what's being taken advantage of? I think it has to do with a, some mismanagement by Texas parks and wildlife. Okay. Um, B um, so many other oyster fisheries have collapsed. So Apalachicola is one that comes to mind that used to be a pretty prominent. There's just more traffic coming over. Yeah. So with, with some of these other, you know, fisheries, closing down and i mean the 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 amount of oyster fishermen has just been through the roof like i, I want to say that this past year it's like doubled and that it nobody's been paying enough attention to it i don't think and it's it's gotten to the point now where it's like some of these really prolific reefs don't even hardly exist anymore the, re the resource in general is in danger at this point yeah, I, I believe so. I, I think that uh, this this year they there was a concentration in kind of one of the smaller bay systems that should shouldn't have been there. Like, and you know, you talk to the fishermen, they're just like, "Well, the reason we were there because these other places are closed down." And it's just like, "Come on, guys! Like, at some point, yeah. you gotta you gotta police your own industry." Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, even if TPWD is not out there have monitoring you, at some point, you as as the harvester needs to realize that this isn't sustainable. And I think just even like in our community, if I'm out, you know, burning a flat or a shoreline or doing something stupid, odds are there's going to be another, another guy that's going to, going to be like, dude, right. Call you on it. Yeah. 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 And I just don't think that there's enough accountability and it's, you know, there's just different mindsets of, you know, of that. And it, the reality of it is, is that that oyster reef does so much to, I mean, it helps with shoreline erosion. It is basically the lungs of the bay. It filters all that water out or all, all of the, the dirty water. Um, and that's why we have such clear water. And on, not to mention the habitat it is for things that fish eat and fish hang sure. out on, right. birds, mm -hmm. like just that whole, that whole system. And yep. if it's not there, None of the other stuff's going to be there for sure. Um, uh, is there information on your uh, Instagram or anything like that? Uh, right now there is a, a link in it um, to the TPWD website. Um, there's a, you know, a thing that you can get on and read about what's going on and you can either say yay or nay on cool. whether or not we should close it down. I've got it. I'm going to be at the TPWD, TPWD headquarters. I think on the 23rd or 24th of this month to go talk to the board. Um, a bunch of us will be there to present, you know, why we, why we think it should be closed. Cool, man. Well, I, I admire anyone putting their neck out for stuff like that. And, um, and thank you. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I admire people that, um, you know, st start their own business too. And, uh, you know, I grew up watching my dad do it, supporting six kids, fixing Volvos, you know, and, uh, I know it takes yeah. a lot of, I know it takes a lot of work, whether you're twisting wrenches or f flies, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah. Uh, best of luck to you and your family this year. Um, and thank you for taking the time out of your, your evening to, 
to chat about crabs and time flies yeah. and stuff as we do. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Right on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Wes McNew from Onion Creek Fly Company for joining me on the program. Check out onioncreekflycompany.com and pick up some of his saltwater flies next time you're heading to the coast. Thank you for giving this weird podcast a chance. It's probably just going to get weirder from here on out. Show notes are available with each episode to give you some further entertainment and some visuals to go along with the audio. They include a bunch of relevant links you might enjoy or find useful, but you don't have to look at them. That's your choice. I'm not the boss of you, and I never will be. The only thing I'm going to command you to do today is to hug your friends and your family when you see them. You never know when you'll be stupid enough to get into a situation that might kill one of you. I've been reading these short blurbs about two organizations that I admire over the last few shows. They don't pay me, and they probably don't know about the show. I hope you check them out, and if you're able to contribute in some way to either of them, that would be cool too. Cast Hope is a nonprofit organization positively impacting kids and their mentors in California and Western Nevada through free fly fishing and outdoor experiences. Through their program, clients build mentoring relationships, fly fishing skills, outdoor knowledge, sustainable practices, and personal values. Cast Hope's gift of the outdoors empowers each mentoring pair to grow closer as they participate in healthy hobbies together. Check them out at casthope.org and whichever social network you like to use. Wild Steelheaders United was established to educate and mobilize the numerous wild steelhead advocates. It's a place where anglers can become more informed about wild steelhead biology and ecology, keep abreast of policy issues, and learn about Trout Unlimited's conservation work. As demonstrated by history, it is certainly possible to rally conservation-minded steelhead anglers to weigh in on specific management decisions that threaten to eliminate something they value. But there is no precedent for advancing a proactive, sustainable policy agenda at scale through purely volunteer efforts. Chances of conservation success are greatest if we have the backing of as many individuals as possible across all the Pacific states. This is why Wild Steelheaders United is critical. Visit wildsteelheaders.org for more info. Today's episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires is brought to you by NothingButTheFacts.com, a website for folks who truly demand nothing but the facts. Do you want the facts? Can you handle the truth? Do your eyes hurt? Mine too. But that doesn't stop me from using my computer to go to NothingButTheFacts.com to learn all sorts of facts that legally cannot be disputed or proved wrong. Try it today. It's free. Or maybe it's not. Who knows? Not me.